thank you for joining us. This is the Editor's Note, um, a weekly podcast. At least we strive for a weekly podcast. <laughs> holidays um, are rough, man. Uh, holidays are rough. <laughs> uh, and I'm uh, uh, introductions before we begin. I'm Brian Vernellis, digital director here at the Sentinel, uh, joined by the editor in Note. Sarah Leach. Sarah Leach. <laughs> Thank you for, for being here, Sarah. Uh, Sarah and I were able to partake in, um, you know, it was a really beautiful day, a beautiful night. It was. Uh, at, Bru- at Brew Merchant, it was Lighthouse Immigrant Advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a fundraiser slash benefit slash celebration uh, type of event. Um, and if you hadn't been a chance to get over to Brew Merchant, really suggest you do. It's a really cool little spot mm-hmm. um, to just hang out, grab a beer. Uh, I don't even think they have any whiskeys or any wine like that. It's mostly I, beer. They, they were serving wine. Were they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, f- on this night uh, in particular, uh, for the Lighthouse group, um, they were honoring local um, immigrants um, people who uh, had an influence with the organization. We heard from many speakers, including uh, one client who came up yeah, and told former client, former yeah. client yeah. who told uh, a really heartwarming and heartbreaking story at right, times. Right. Uh, and to hear her, how the organization has helped her transition from her native land into her no- new home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sarah, you know, we've been trying to do this for a couple days <laughs> and finally, uh, we had a couple moments to sit down and, you know, get our thoughts, I guess, on podcast. What were, you know, what were your takeaways from that evening? And, uh, besides the, uh, the, you had the two, what was it? Vegetable oh, the, rolls? Those spring rolls, spring rolls were just <laughs> the best. <laughs> There was a smorgasbord of food yes. from all of these different, you know, cultural regions. And <laughs> I, I'm just saying that I uh, I kind of cornered the table uh, over on the, in the Asian section. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I ate half that pan of spring rolls. <laughs> yeah, I was still full from uh, our afternoon. I think we – didn't we go to uh, – We ate dinner first. Yeah, we ate dinner first. <laughs> There's always room for sprinkles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was working on a pipe pit column and uh, yeah, you were doing your wine column. Yeah. Yeah. And somehow, we, yeah, we still managed to have a, a few. Anyway. <laughs> we digress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your takeaways from that evening and, uh, you know, did anybody in particular really reach you or, um, you know, the first person we heard that night was the uh, executive director, Sarah Yor, uh, Sarah Yor Vanderhaus. Mm-hmm. Van, <laughs> Van Oosterhout, excuse me. <laughs> I know, I'm terrible, aren't I? You're, you're going to be okay. Uh, no, that's, <laughs> she's going to call me up. And, so Sarah uh, opened the evening mm-hmm. with some really lovely remarks about her mission and what you know, she's trying to do and what the organization is trying to do. But then we heard, you know, former clients. Yeah, I think that I think that um, I I wasn't really sure what to expect from an event like this, because it was framed in a way that we were going to hear kind of the stories of different immigrants that have located here um, and worked with this group. And so when they started the event, I think it's really interesting when you structure something in a storytelling way where it's just a couple of people and a, and, and a mic and 
they just talk. Mm. Um, you don't really see that too often anymore. Right. Like usually there's like a lot of panels and a lot of, you know, ver- very structured forums and stuff. And, you know, just to, to, to give somebody a microphone and to say, tell us your story. I think that that's kind of a, of a lost art. And so I'm really glad that we were able to capture a lot of, of the, of the audio through recording the event um, in an audio file which is why we're doing this um, to augment that, that storytelling. Because I think that hearing a, somebody's story out of their own mouth is different than reading about it in a paper or watching it in a video. It's um, you, you feel like you're kind of going on a journey with them, which I really felt happened when the, the former client who spoke was probably the most detailed, vivid description of a, of, of an immigrant's tale. And it, and it was harrowing at times. And when, when she was talking about the persecution of being a Christian um, in the various countries that she lived in and right. people intentionally trying to, to burn her house down, um, and, and, you know, she could, she, as she ran, she could hear people saying, kill them. Um, that, it, 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 gave, it gives you chills when you, when you listen to it. And even though you know that she's okay and you know that it happened years ago, you know that this still happens around the world. And, and this kind of uh, persecution for all, all various kind of reasons. But it just, um, it's very visceral when you hear somebody right. tell it in that, in that oral storytelling format. Right. And it puts a lot of things in perspective. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, when you're stressed out about work and you're listening to this. Right, right. When, yeah, when we have our first world problems, right? Yes. And then we think about, like, what's happening in other parts of the world. Being here at Twinati is a privilege for me to be able to share my story and um, recognize how Lighthouse has, be- has been there for me from the beginning till now. So... My English is not as perfect as um, I wish, but I hope you can understand everything that I'm going to share. <laughs> um, so I'm originally from Rwanda, um, a country that's located in East Africa. I was two years old when um, the genocide happened, and... We were forced to leave our country, to leave everything behind, um, and move to Congo. I don't know much about the process or how we ended up in Congo, but from what my parents have told me, it's like when we read the Bible, um, when we remember Moses in the desert with the people of God, uh, guiding them to the yeah, to the promised land, thank you. Um, they faced water, oceans in front of them, mountains, enemies behind them. They didn't know where to go, but God was always there for them. So that's how my parents um, used to describe the story for me. So um, after arriving to Congo, uh, we thought it was like a safe haven for us. But in 1996, it also happened that there was a war in the area that we were, and we had to leave Congo to Central Africa. Um, From seeking stability and security and 
a land where you'll be welcome for who you are, we ended up going countries to countries. We ended up in, um, in Cameroon, from Cameroon to Niger. So when I got to Niger in 2000, um, I was eight years old when I started elementary school there. Um, I learned French, I went to school. Um, I, was, I was given the refugee status there. Um, the, UN, the UN helped us, was playing for the school, and uh, I was able to at least have a future, hope for a future. Um, my parents were able to get a job and we were able to provide for us. Um, it was difficult being in a Muslim country where you have sometimes to um, hide your identity or not wear what you want just because you want to fit in um, or express your beliefs or who you are. Sometimes it's hard, but we only had hope because at least we were able to sleep in peace um, and also able to go to school, able to make friends. Um, that was something that we were grateful for. Um, in that process, living there, my parents uh, became pastor and they started sharing the gospel. Um, and then in 2000, 15, I was 23, 20, 23, 22 years old when um, Christians were targeted and uh, we were all um, Christians were targeted and because my parents being pastor, we were also targeted. I remember this night, it was a sat this day, it was a Saturday morning when um, a friend of mine called me and he was like, hey, you need to get off the house. I was like, why? And the friend told me, um, it's because some people are coming to kill you because you are Christian and you have a church. Some of my family were now with me. They were at work, I was home. Um, my sisters were at, work, uh, at school. I panicked, um, didn't know what to do and I was like, can I hide in the house? Are they just gonna burn the church and go? Or are they still coming in the house to also kill people in the house? He was like, no, you'll be fine, stay in the house. But two minutes after, he was like, no, you need to get out because some people are dying, they're being killed. Um, <laughs> so I ran away from the house not knowing where I was going, ended up at my friend's house. Not knowing where my parents were, um, I could hear people saying, kill them, burn the house. They burned the house to the ground. I didn't have a time to even take my phone or take any clothes. Um, after that, uh, a friend of mine was able to hide me, and I stayed there not knowing, not having anyone by my side. Um, only hoping that I would wake up the next morning. Um, luckily, I had a brother here who came also as a refugee. We were separated during the war. He's been here for 13 years. 
I had Facebook at the time, so I was able to reach out to him. This is what's happening, and I don't have anyone, and I don't know what to do. And he was like, oh, um, that's okay. The only thing I can think of is us, is you going back to Rwanda. I would send you money. Then you can book a ticket. And at the time, I didn't even have um, a passport because I was a refugee. Um, I had to request a document from Rwanda to be able to go back. Um, he paid for my ticket, my plane ticket, and I returned to Rwanda where thinking if I go back, I will also have at least a place to stay and I will be at peace. But being there also was very challenging because I was not welcomed um, based on my family identity, my father and the wealth that we had. Um, I was forced to also go back to Niger because I didn't know anybody there. I was being persecuted. I was like, I can't stay here if in my own country I'm also now welcomed because of who I am. Then I, feel I went back to Niger to my friend house who hosted me, hoping that I'll probably see uh, my parents. From there, I was unable to see them for a couple months. Um, and my brother was like, okay, the next thing I can do for you is probably uh, apply for, um, apply for a visit visa so you can come see me and see how things goes and wait to see if your parents would show up or if you can go back. And I went, I applied and luckily I was granted the visa to come see him. And that's how I came. Um, I was able to stay with him for a couple months and he was like, uh, you know what, maybe this is a place where you could stay like me and have freedom to express who you are, to, to express your faith, your beliefs, and what you value. Um, but being here, I knew he was like, it's going to be challenging because you do not have papers. You have to seek legal status. And how can we do that? So we didn't have any person or anybody to talk to about it. So we kept asking around and asking around, and a friend of mine told me, oh, I know this place, Lighthouse, that can help you. So I was put in contact with Sarah, who um, set up a meeting. But at the time, I was so scared. I wasn't sleeping at all wondering what tomorrow will be, like how my life is going to be. I left my home. I don't have a future. I don't have papers. I can't do anything. I'm limited. The only thing I can do is just wake up and hope that I'll wake, hope that the next morning I'll still be alive because I was so in a dark place where I spent my days only crying, not knowing what to do, uh, not sleeping well. Even when I sleep, I hope that I can just have enough sleep and not wake up. But then uh, when I met Sarah, she, I told her my story. She was able to take my story and be like, oh, I can take your case. I was like, I don't have money. How is that going to work? 
she was like, no, you don't have to worry about that because at Lighthouse we help with, um, we are a nonprofit and we're going to support you. You can pay however you want slowly or make monthly payments or even pay it when you get it. That's how I was like, wow, this is amazing because I didn't have money at the time and it was a blessing to hear that somebody's just going to take my case and advocate for me. From then, I started having hope that everything would be fine. Um, throughout my process, also, I was, ab- I was living with my actual husband, Benoit, who's here with me. He was a friend who supported me throughout the... <laughs> who supported me throughout my process. He was there for me also. Um, he would always tell me, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. Just let's go out. Let's um, do something so you can forget what you're going through. But I would not even want to go out because I'm like, what if I get arrested? What if something happens? What if we get into an accident and I'm with you? Where am I going to go? I was always scared, always questioning myself, but knowing that Lighthouse has taken my case sometimes would give me hope, would give me peace, and they were always there for me. Um, even when they would hear things on TV, on the news, they would text me, they'd be like, it's going to be okay, we don't know what's going to happen, but we hope for the best. Um, so without them, I wouldn't be standing here today. I wouldn't be uh, a permanent resident. I wouldn't be with my husband and my kid, and I wouldn't be sharing my story today. So thank you so much for having We heard from Sarah at the start, mm-hmm. and she told, some, um, she told some personal stories as well. Um, and we heard from the former client, and then we also heard from um, uh, a gentleman who was the evening's uh, award recipient. I think it was for Volunteer of the Year, if I'm correct. Yeah, he's he. It's um, Angel Lopez Coolhouse. I, I hope I'm saying that right. Um, he's a pastor of Neighborhood Ministries at Third Reformed Church, and he did he didn't speak for very long. But And he didn't get too far into his own personal tale, but I really appreciated his takeaways of of being an immigrant and how he feels now, how he feels that that journey went for him. Um, And he really attributed a lot of his success to the fact that other people were willing to welcome him into this community because we hear a lot of this stuff about diversity and inclusion and, you know, people feeling like they're not welcome in majority Caucasian communities around the country. And um, I think that this was, this was a good reminder that it's not always like that, that, that there are some really good successful stories that this is somebody who felt accepted and it, it was um, it was a happy story, and he's trying to pay it forward to help other people feel the same way. He, I, I remember him saying specifically, "I'm here because somebody saw me, somebody loved me," and I was like, "Wow, that, that it was such a powerful statement yeah. to say." It is. Uh, I'm here because somebody loved me, somebody saw me, somebody touched me in the right way, somebody accept me. With my accent, uh, like I am, and it's and it's hard 
be accepted. And because it was hard for our people to accept me many times, I decided I decide to do it the other way too, to accept people, to fight for people, and to believe in people, to see them, to touch them, to love them, to cry with them, to laugh with them, to sit with them. Just to try to live, to live with them. Y este, gracias, no me lo esperaba. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it at all. I was here for the food. <laughs> Pero muchas gracias. Dios, Dios lo bendiga. God bless you. Appreciate it. Gracias, Lighthouse. Another perspective that we don't often hear about is the people who work with these groups, like Lighthouse. Um, hearing from Sarah, and and you can you can feel the passion behind what she does, why she does it, why it's so important. Um, the statements about what kind of a narrative are we framing immigration around, and when we hear a lot of these buzzwords on the national stage. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric that is about immigrants. It tends to be a negative conversation for a lot of different reasons, depending on what you're talking about. Um, and, and, you know, like the statement that by, by framing immigration in this way as an other alien, um, those kinds of words, you're really putting a negative spin on something that can be very normal, very welcoming, very loving, depending on, you know, how you work with it. And so I think that it was important to hear from these workers who are in this and not necessarily just the people who are coming from other countries and trying to get into the United States and live here. It's, it's, a, it's a whole community of people who are trying to, to assist these people as well. The thing that really struck me was if you've been to Brew Merchant, they've got two sides. They've got kind of like their um, um, beer tasting, wine tasting side. Mm-hmm. And then the other side is like a little mini banquet hall that they set up for right. events. And that it's a really cool space. Yeah. It is. And it was packed in there. Yeah. They had some tables set up and at one point we had to move, you know, they had to move the tables away um, for the, the dance performance. But I was just stunned at how many people were there. I mean, there had to have been 75 a hundred people, would you say? Right. And there were a lot of other events that were actually going on yeah. in and around town because uh, you and I were not, not there just um, necessarily yeah. intentionally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> sometimes when we have, you know, people that are off at other, you know, meetings or um, other events that are going on around town, we end up um, having to, you know, cover events directly. So right. that um, it was really impressive turnout. It really was. Yeah. That's the thing that really, I don't know what, Maybe it's just because the the rhetoric that you say mm-hmm. you mentioned is just so ramped up, and and you just kind of forget that people um, do support these efforts that these people at LIA are doing, and right, um, you know, not everybody is chanting "build the wall, build the wall," right, and well, and we're not all categorized and compartmentalized the way that 
we, we tend to try to like see the world, you know, you walk into a, to a venue like that and you see young and old and, right. you know, black and white and Hispanic. Yeah. And there were little kids. There was like a little table for children. So yeah. they could do some coloring and, you know, there, everyone was eating and drinking and laughing. And so, you know, you just kind of saw like the whole kaleidoscope of, of people um, there. And then you kind of remember, you know, we're all kind of in this together. So it was a really, it was a really heartwarming event. Yeah. So props to them. And, yeah. you know, you mentioned uh, earlier about hearing it, um, hearing a person's story in their own words um, can be so, uh, so powerful and, and resonate. It really humanizes it. Yeah. You know? Instead I, of just reading about it. And that to get all grandiose about it, but I, you know, it's kind of why I think we get into the job of being a journalist. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. I mean, it's, at the very core, we're, we're telling other people's stories. Yes. Yeah. So if we can be just, you know, a minute part of their story Mm -hmm. and being able to tell it, I think, I mean, that's what attracts me to this profession. Right. Uh, You know, it it helped kick me into that direction of being more video and more of a digital guy versus a print guy. Right. And I think that's anyway, I'm. <laughs> rambling here. <laughs> well, you know it is editors. Though, so th- this is the place to ramble. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up? We've had a chance to listen to everyone uh, through this podcast in, in their own words. And- yeah. Yeah, I, I think that this is a great example of how um, Holland does it right. And I think that there are a lot of other cool events uh, in and around town that also help help people in similar right. manners for different demographics. And I, um, you know, we're, we're really trying to make an effort to bring those those stories to the readers and the listeners. So kudos to LIA. <laughs> Thanks for having yeah. us. Yep. The food was fantastic. <laughs> the conversations, the, food? <laughs> yeah, the conversations were and delightful. There was, even, there was even a live performance. Yeah. Um, of uh, you know, I'm probably going to get the word wrong, but it was it, it, I Sol think Azteca. I, so was that like a Mexican, uh, like like native dance? I believe so. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, you know, like stomping on that wood floor, like you could feel the vibrations oh. through your feet. Yeah. And I mean, even though you were like on the other side of the room, you felt like you were right in front mm-hmm. and, and they just, they were fantastic. They were. And on that note, I think we will wrap up editor's okay. note. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us. Uh, on behalf of Sarah Leach, I'm Brian Bernalis. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>